Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Mendonca. Thanks for being here for Episode 7 of A Fresh Agenda. This is A Fresh Agenda, bringing your productivity and creativity together to generate your deepest work. Here is Christina Mendonca. Hi, everyone. This is A Fresh Agenda, where we talk to innovators and entrepreneurs about their creative processes and through the distractions of life, how do we all get at our deepest work? And here we are at the end of 2017. I hope you all had a great year. It's been a year of transition for a lot of people, myself included. I'm simply amazed at how many people don't know that I've left my last job is amazing. I'm still getting emails and I still meet people on a daily basis who think I am still on the news every night. And I haven't been for a few months now, but I have to tell you, it's been really amazing to kind of explore this different creative space. And I'm really enjoying it. This podcast has been so much fun to do this year. And my eyes have been open to lots of different projects. Some people have asked me if I'm retiring. Heck no. I have an agent and I'm still exploring the TV space, but I'm also getting a chance to do some experimentation that I haven't had a chance to do in years. And it's been really fun and really invigorating. So I put several horses on the track. We're going to see which one runs in 2018. And I'm glad that you're along for the ride. So thank you for being here. So this is the end of the year and I'm going to do a best of podcast because I've had a chance to talk to some really interesting people this year. So I have snippets of interviews from Jay Leno, author Cheryl Strayed, and theoretical physicist Brian Green, all super creative people, obviously, uh, masters in their field. So it'll be a great chance to catch up with all three of them. The first is Jay Leno. With the car show and everything you're doing now and the travel you're doing, what are you having the most fun with in your life right now? Um, I, I, I have fun with it. I'm one of those people that's just contented. I, I never seek to be overly happy, but I don't get depressed either. So I'm just having a good time. I mean, this is fun. I was a stand-up comedian before I had The Tonight Show, and um, that's what I'm doing now, and I, I enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, yep. working on the cars and doing the car show. A lot of people, a lot of comedians want to maybe get off the road and go into television, but you seem to love staying. No, no, when you're in television, you have, this is your audience's television. Okay, that was very funny. Um, let's do it again and make it just as funny. Okay, that was good. Bob, hit the applause sign. I mean, it's not real. You know, it, it's sort of manufactured. You know, when you do jokes on TV, you don't know if it's actually funny or not. When people buy a ticket and they show up, they let you know pretty quickly whether it works or not. <laughs> With the car show, Jay Leno's Garage. Right. Uh, uh, let's see, you, we've seen you flipping a car Yeah, on that, that was fun. That was great. <laughs> Always good for ratings when you crash. People just want to see you get hurt. That's the key. <laughs> and, and, uh, Tell me about this, the passion. Was it your idea to do this, or did someone approach you and say, what? look, you're a car guy, let's do Jay Leno's no, Garage? You no, know, I, I was doing Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube for about, oh, I started in 2005, 2006, and it was just technical stuff about cars, and it grew to be the third biggest automotive website on YouTube. Oh, okay. And then we approached some people about, once I left The Tonight Show, you don't want to do another talk. You can't do the same thing. It just comes out weaker and not as good and it's so let's try something completely different and it proved to be the right thing to do because um it's so much different now i can call celebrities up and go look i don't care about your cocaine bust i don't care about your divorce i don't care who you're sleeping with i don't care that the movie bomb we're just talking about cars and motorcycles great and they show up and there's no press people and they don't have to my client will not discuss the incident no we, we don't do any of that it's none of that right. it's strictly their interest in cars and things that roll explode and make noise 
It's a perfect Sunday afternoon in LA mm -hmm. and you go out to your garage. Mm -hmm. What do you pick? Oh, probably one of the motorcycles. I figure I got one good crash left in me and then after that, it's all right, you better put the bikes away. So at age 66, I'm trying to get as much motorcycle stuff in as I can. I watched President Obama's last news conference mm -hmm. today, and it occurred to me that, you know, after the inauguration this week, you're the you know the leader of the world, and then you're not. Uh, you were the Tonight Show guy, the biggest guy in television, and then not. How well, was no, that transition? hardly the biggest guy in television. Uh, it, it's not hard. You know something? I have the same wife, the same friends I had before I had the show, so nothing really changes. I was never one of those people that, Bob, I'd like my usual table. What? It, it, what? I, but why can't I get in this restaurant anymore? But I, I used to be famous. I tell you, gotta, I don't. I don't really go through that. I, it's it's not really a big deal. I don't really. I mean, I went after the night. I went home every night, and my wife and I had dinner, and that was that. I, I, I so I'm not someone who, you know, all these things happened because of the show. I mean, many great things did happen because of the show, but it wasn't one of those things where suddenly I expected to be put at the front of the line or whatever it might be. You know, you always see these things on TV. Uh, no, it was, uh, I, I did it for 22 years, it was great, Jimmy Fallon's doing a great job, and I go on and I do the show with Jimmy all the time now. In fact, I do a show on ABC, I do uh, Last Man Standing with Tim, and that's great fun. You know, I, I just show up, I just tell him, well, I don't care how much it pays, what do you want me to do? And we have fun. Talk to me about social media usage. It's such a big thing for celebrities and, and comedians and, and people. Well, I mean, I'll really take a picture of my lunch and Snapchat it to everybody. It's not really, uh, but it works good for the cars and motorcycles. When we're working on a project, we take pictures, we send it out. You get feedback from other people. So that part of it is good. I mean, that's the whole, that's how the business has changed a lot. I mean, when I was doing The Tonight Show, it was mostly you do the monologue and they'd send out jokes to the various news outlets, ones that were appropriate or whatever it might be. Uh, now it's just like you have to make viral videos and do all these kinds of things. So. Do you have people that do all that or do you like to do it? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, the, the people who work in the car show will say, oh, we put this on Snapchat, we sent this out. Oh, okay, great. You know, I mean, I'm, you know, my attitude is if you hire good people, you let them do the job. You know? And Jay Leno has hired a lot of people that have done a great job for him. Uh, the car show is just so much fun to watch. Last Man Standing was canceled, but he has other projects in the hopper now. And he's really just a, kind of a poster child for reinvention after The Tonight Show, the biggest gig in television, and has gone on to do all sorts of other things and is really enjoying his reinvention. And he's back on stage, too, doing a lot of stand-up. Uh, funny thing, when he came into town to do this speaking engagement and we had this scheduled interview, he was like an hour late. Uh, to the, the speaking event because his plane couldn't land. It was like one of the worst storms in Sacramento in years. Trees were down everywhere and he couldn't get from the airport to the facility. But when he walked in, he was just cool as can be, calm as can be, knew he had the scheduled interview. He could have skipped it and probably should have, but he went ahead and did the interview with me and was as kind as can be, just as kind as he sounds. Uh, so next we're going to talk to Brian Green. He's a theoretical physicist and he is a Columbia University professor has been for many years talks about big issues things uh, like uh, multiverse and string theory uh, so he was in town as well and we had a chance to talk about a couple of big concepts so go big with me here uh, we're gonna talk about string theory and time travel with theoretical physicist Brian Green you're the guy for explaining string theory in the easiest way I mean the basic idea is trying to realize a dream that Einstein Einstein himself had, which is to find the theory 
that might describe everything in the universe, the big stuff, the small stuff, and everything in between. Now, Einstein looked for it but never found it, and we think we may possibly have that theory in our hands today. We just have not been able to test it yet. It's so complex that we don't know if it actually describes our universe, but at least on paper, this theory seems to do what Einstein wanted it to do. So you start with atoms, yep. and then you work your way down to the protons and... and you keep on going. Protons and then quarks. Quarks are inside of those, exactly. Okay, and then the filaments that perhaps are part of string theory. That's right. So the conventional idea is exactly the one you're saying. You've got atoms. Atoms have a nucleus with neutrons and protons. You've got the quarks inside of those, just like you said. And that's where the conventional ideas stop. String theory proposes that there's another layer, another Russian doll, if you will, inside the sequence that we haven't yet found experimentally. But the theory is that the new ingredient is a little tiny filament. Looks like a piece of string vibrating in the heart of all matter. And the different vibrations of the string give rise to the different kinds of particles that make the universe so rich. Are we even close to the technology that would be able to detect something like that? Probably not. Probably not. And I don't say that with glee. Some people say, oh, you love that. There isn't technology to test these ideas because you can't be proven wrong. That's so silly. You know, you go around once in life. You want to be working on something that's true, that's correct. We want to experiment, but these filaments, if they exist, are probably so tiny that we need machines that are far more powerful than anything we currently have to be able to probe such tiny, tiny distances. Another concept you talked about in, in one of your videos that I, th I think a lot of people would find fascinating is the concept of time. And perhaps it's not the river flowing that we all think it is, but that everything that has ever happened has already happened. When it comes to time travel, Einstein himself laid out a blueprint for how to do it. This is not science fiction. If you want to travel to the future, he told us what you do. You build a spaceship, you go really fast out into space near the speed of light. It's hard to do that, but that's technology, not physics. But you go out very fast and you turn around and you come back. When you step out of your ship, you may have aged one year if it was six months out and six months back, but on Earth, 10 years may have gone by, or a hundred or a thousand or a million or a billion, all depending on how close to the speed of light your ship actually went. When you step out of your ship, you will step into the future. There is no scientist alive who knows what they're talking about who contests this. This is how the world, the universe, actually works. Is there anything that scares you about what you might find out? For instance, I just read an article this morning in which Stephen Hawking was talking about AI and how, to him, that's kind of a frightening uh, dilemma for humans to try to control that and not be overtaken by it. I mean, I, I, I think of like the movie The Matrix. <laughs> well. I think I'm a, an optimist at the most deepest level. I think that there are many rich and, and puzzling, mysterious, provocative ideas that come out of science. But I think ultimately, we as a species figure out how to make it all work and to go forward in a way that is sensible. So we may have hiccups here and there, but ultimately I have confidence that we're going to come through just fine. And if a guy that smart is confident and optimistic that we are going to be able to live in harmony with technology, well, I'm on board. That's Brian Greene, theoretical physicist. And if you really want to geek out on some of his more interesting research, go look at his TED Talk about multiverse. 
fascinating. He's really good at explaining all of it. Okay, so we have talked uh, to someone from the world of entertainment and someone from the world of science. Let's hop over to the literary arts and talk to one of my favorite authors, Cheryl Strayed. She, of course, is the author of Wild, which was made into a movie with Reese Witherspoon. Brave Enough and Torch are a couple of her other books. Uh, she also wrote Tiny Beautiful Things, which is one of my favorite books of hers. And if you have an opportunity to pick it up or listen to it on audio like I did, um, it'll, it'll, it's, it's beautiful writing. It feels good on your ears. She's such a gorgeous writer. All right, so I had a chance to talk to her about a couple of concepts uh, from a writer's perspective. One called binge writing, and then her use of talisman as she crafts her stories. So here's my interview with Cheryl Strand. I want to talk to you about the concept of um, binge writing. Uh, you know, I've, I've interviewed Michael Lewis and Stephen King, and they talk about spending specific time every day writing. And when you started talking about binge writing, it, it, it spoke to me and I think a lot of other people. Yeah. Talk to me about how that works for you and why it works for you. Well, binge writing is just just like it sounds. You know, you write for long periods of time, but not necessarily on a regular schedule. And that's just worked better for me uh, in so many ways, uh, certainly as a mother, because I do have two kids who are 11 and, and 13. And, um, you know, any parent knows that the, the kid's schedule comes first. And so I didn't, I don't have the life over these last, you know, 13 years where I could say, no, every day I'm writing for this many hours and no matter what happens, that's what I'm going to be doing. I, I just don't have that luxury. But it's even deeper than that. Before I became a mother, I tried to do that sort of thing. I had been told so many times that a real writer writes every day. I mean, that's a, something you hear really often. And I always felt at odds with that because my creative flow works in a slightly different way. I am far more creative in a sort of immersive way where I go all the way in really deep. And once I'm there, I don't want to leave. I want to stay in there. And so, you know, that might be a, a day, it might be a week. Um, before I had kids, it might be a month. Um, that I would really be, you know, sort of like a dog with a bone on that project. And then I would be done with it. And I wouldn't feel the need to write for a little while. And, and that didn't mean I wasn't a writer. It just meant my creativity worked differently. And so it was really liberating for me to just say, hey, this is the way I do it. You know, I think it's great that Stephen King writes whatever by his schedule. You know, I think that as in writing and as in so many things in life, there is no one way to do it right. As long as it works for you, you're, you're doing it right. When do you feel that sense of flow people talk about? Uh, you know, when you, you, you feel like the conductor of some kind of internal orchestra that's really working for you. Is it as soon as you sit down, as soon as you close that door and have silence, or as soon as that, that, uh, that next sentence pops in, or do you have to be a few pages in? Oh my goodness, it's, it's, it's never as soon as I sit down. In fact, as soon as I sit down, I often think, why am I doing this? I can't do this. I'm not going to succeed. This is hard. Maybe the floor needs to be, you know, mopped instead, right? I mean, I think part of my process is that anxiety, that resistance, and that that um, desire to escape into almost anything else. But what I've learned is that you just have to stick with it. You you have to keep faith with um, your work and to say, I'm going to push through through that anxiety and resistance. And when I do that. I will reach that flow and I will reach that time in the making of the, the story or the essay or the book 
where I'm, I don't want to do anything else. That like you, you, you realize the sun's going down and you haven't eaten for 10 hours and you're like, wait a minute, I don't want to stop. I don't even want to stop for the basic necessities of, of living, right? And that's a beautiful place to reach, but it takes work to get there. You know, it's, it's not something that I can just turn on um, because I want to. You for a portion of your life was a, uh, you were a journalist mm -hmm. and I've been a journalist for 30 years and it's it's interesting place to be in that you're inhabiting other people's experiences over and over and over again and writing about them. Um, how was it to, with you when you inhabited your own experience? I mean, is that what you felt like when you said that, that second heart that was beating inside you that you needed to get out? Or do you think you would have stayed in journalism? No, I don't think, you know, obviously, and even still I write journalism every once in a while, but it's not really my calling. And, you know, I and I think that among all of the writers I know, journalists and creative writers included, there is that sense of like, what are the kinds of stories that you are here to tell? What, are, what is the thing that drives you? It's like at your very core, what is the kind of story you want to tell? And for whatever reason, many of those stories for me do come from that very personal place. It's not about being um, so focused on necessarily me and my life, but it's rather using me and my life to tell that bigger human story. And I think that journalists just do the, the kind of opposite of that with the same goal in mind. We, we all wanna tell that human story. We just have different ways of getting there. My husband is a documentary filmmaker, um, which is essentially a, a kind mm -hmm. of journalist. And he tells other people's stories, but he does it in a way that I know that there's some core truth that's always about him. And I try to tell, use my story to tell core truth that's true about you. I know you teach writing as well, and, and one of the interesting things I heard from you in a podcast was your, your um, discussion of talisman and the mm -hmm. importance of talisman in writing. Talk to me a little bit about how you use that with your students and how you use it in your own writing. I think that so much of writing is about noticing, paying attention, and using the world around us to tell the story of our character or if we're writing about ourselves, our, you know, ourselves. And one of the greatest tools is, is to pay attention to the physical world, and especially the physical that we attach literally to our bodies. You know, you're, we're both wearing uh, wedding rings. Um, that's a cultural talisman. You know, without uh, talking to you, you and I know something about each other that we have in common. And it's only through a physical object. If, if, I, if you and I hadn't said a word to each other and we saw each other across the room, we, we would observe that about each other. Um, and then there are personal talismans. There are things, you know, only I know what this ring on this finger means to me. But it's, the, it's a story. I could tell you the story about it. And I, I know that if I asked you to do the same, I bet there would be something. There would be a story attached to something you're wearing. And what I love about that as a writer is it's, it's just another avenue. It's another way to, to make the world vivid to the reader, to tell us something true about the character or the life or the experience um, you know, that we're trying to create vividly on the page. When you get in front of a group of uh, eager writers, uh, people who, uh, who you're trying to inspire or, or that are looking for inspiration from you, what do you tell them besides write like a mother? <laughs> oh, well, Which I love, by the way. I tell them a lot of things. Um, that's just the only one that, that, you know, can go on a sort of coffee mug or a bumper sticker. What do I tell them? You know, that's, that's such a long... There's such a long answer to that question, but you know, one thing I want to say 
that, that's really, I think, important or a key component of my teaching is that, is that I don't try to inspire people. You know, when I was writing all of my books, people say to me, I'm so inspired, you know, especially wild. It's so inspirational. And I, I didn't set out to inspire people. I, I set out to, to tell the truth. And, and as a writer, and, and I mean that, you know, you can tell the truth in fiction too. I mean, again, that truth of what does it mean to be human? And I think that when I'm teaching, I also try to do that. I try to help people be brave enough to go to those deepest places. And you know, if they if they end up feeling inspired by that by that message or that encouragement, like I'm I'm glad of it. I'll take it. But I don't set out to try to do that. And and I think what's interesting about that is people are inspired by being given permission essentially to be courageous in ways that often we're told not to be. You know, we're told, you know, don't don't tell the don't write about your flaws you know actually show the the perfect face don't write about the mistakes you made don't write about the times when you when you felt ambivalent when you sh really should have been sure or you know all of those things we we tend to keep in the back writing is about welcoming them forward and i think people end up feeling inspired by that liberation one thing i ask um all the guests is with the you how ubiquitous social media is mm -hmm. it, it is in some ways stealing people's focus and and their deep work uh, what do you do in your own life to to put that in its place and how do you teach your children to put that in its place so you can you can achieve that deep focused work it's so hard it, you know I'm, I'm still trying to answer that question for myself as a as a person and as a mother because absolutely I've seen that with my kids, you know, they are preteens now, they've just recently, you know, in the last year or so, uh, gotten their own iPhones, and, and I see the number of books they read goes down, because it's the num they spend more time reading that screen, looking at, you know, doing whatever we all do on the screens, and I see that in my own life too. And I think it's, it's as with anything, um, that we need to be conscious and moderate, and every day make that choice. Uh, you know, what is it that I wanna do with this hour. Um, maybe it's spend that whole hour on social media. I don't think that's inherently bad, but if you're doing that every hour, there's something wrong. And I've had to bring that in my own life into consciousness to say, to just be more awake to what I'm choosing to do and why. Finally, uh, what are you working on now? What are you thinking about, writing about, mulling about writing about? I'm writing a, a, another book, I'm writing a memoir, and I really always hate talking about, you know, the book I'm writing because it always sounds silly and stupid and then like whatever I say it's about it won't it won't be you know in the book or something in the final cut but I will say you know it's about me <laughs> which you know um, but it's it's really a, a deep exploration of some of the, the the questions that I've been grappling with in my adult life um, in answering that question how do I make a home in the world um, I'm somebody who lost my home and lost my family at, at essentially the moment I became an adult at that at that crossroads and I'm 48 now and I've had and I've made a home in the world I've made a new you know family and a new life and so it's a lot of I'm exploring those um, journeys and those questions in the book oh, I look forward to reading it thank you thank you very much for your time appreciate it it was wonderful talking to you
Great way to end the podcast and a great way to end 2017. I hope you enjoyed listening to Jay Leno and Brian Greene and Cheryl Strayed as much as I enjoyed interviewing all of them and putting this end of year podcast together. Reach out anytime at ChristinaMendonca.com. That is my website, is my main channel. You can also find me on Twitter and Snapchat and Facebook, of course. Also Instagram and LinkedIn. So I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about how you're getting creative for 2018 when it comes to your business. You know, I talked to Gary Maxwell, a reinvention expert in one of my previous podcasts, and he talked about how all companies, no matter what you're selling, no matter what your service, needing to be omni-channel. We all have to be omni-channel and out there and talking to people because that is the source of new ideas, new creativity, and for all of us to be able to live on the cutting edge of our industries. So please reach out when you can. I'd love to hear from you and let's stay connected.